I'd like to reread that opening prayer. O God, who through the grace of adoption chose us to be children of light, grant, we pray, that we may not be wrapped in the darkness of error, but always be seen to stand in the bright light of truth. I've been thinking and praying a lot about what I want to say this morning. If you know me, you know that I'm not heavy-handed unless I'm coaching football or playing football, which is a long time ago, or watching football, probably. I'm definitely a, a big fan of Divine Mercy. You know that because we hosted a Divine Mercy service here just a couple months ago. But I feel like, as Pope Benedict would say, charity is so intimately related to truth. Without truth, you can't have true charity. And without true charity, you can't have the proclamation of the truth. They're intimately connected. I remember Bishop Barron, who's now being uh, reassigned to Minnesota from Los Angeles, when he was the rector of the seminary in Chicago, tells the story of when Cardinal George came to speak to some of the men who are about to be ordained priests. And he said, you know, I know many of you are, are very prideful in a good way about the formation you've received and your orthodoxy, you know, your adherence to the truth, but don't use the truth like a baseball bat to hit people upside the head with. So it's a challenge. It's not easy standing up here sometimes when you know you've got young ears in the audience and you got people from all kinds of backgrounds with all kinds of life experience. So I ask the Holy Spirit, as always, to help me and crown Mary the queen of this homily. So in light of what happened on Friday in the Supreme Court when it overturned Roe versus Wade. I want to speak today about truth and freedom and their intimate relationship with Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what he said of himself. So this is not a political homily because at the end of the day, this is all about life and the meaning of life. I'm wearing my Pope St. John Paul II socks today, in case you were wondering what in the world is he wearing? Yes, I know you were all asking yourselves that, so the tension is over. These are sock religious, not sack religious, but sock religious. So my Pope St. John Paul II socks. And I was, uh, I was sent an email from the Theology of the Body Institute yesterday, or on Friday. And they quoted from John Paul II's Gospel of Life encyclical. So I just wanted to read this sentence. It says, this is John Paul II writing, it is an illusion to think we can build a true culture of human life 
if we do not accept and experience sexuality and love and the whole of life according to their true meaning and their close interconnection. Beautiful. The close interconnection between sexuality and love and life. He is the author of The Theology of the Body. If you haven't read anything on theology of the body, you need to read it. How many of you were here were married before 1930? Raise your hand. <laughs> Obviously not, right? Obviously not. So you've all been born and married in a time of a great social experiment, if you want to put it that way. And I can't get into the whole history of the pro-life movement and of the abortion movement. But it all started, I mean, I can't say it all started, but 1930 was a big year. The Lambeth Conference. It's, an, a, it's a, a meeting of Anglican bishops. So they were the first Christian church to change their teaching on human sexuality and marriage. You know what I mean. They allowed for contraception for the first time. Because Roe versus Wade doesn't happen in 1973 overnight. That doesn't happen overnight. Nor has its reversal happened overnight. It took almost 50 years. So you have to keep that in mind. That kind of court decision doesn't just come out of thin air. It took years, it took decades to get to that point. And 1930 was certainly a big step in that direction. And then you've got all kinds of other laws. You've got the genuine or the, the, the general gradual breakdown of the family and laws governing family life. And then Paul VI, now Saint Paul VI, comes out with Humanae Vitae in 1968. And he's trying to uphold the Christian teaching on human sexuality and marriage from time immemorial. And that comes under all kinds of, of attack and misunderstanding. And then in 1973, Roe versus Wade is, is passed. So there's a great article you got to read that I looked up this morning. An interview, here's the title of the article, America's Abortion King, Dr. Bernard Nathanson, and the Catholic Strategy. The Catholic Strategy. So Dr. Bernard Nathanson, God rest his soul, helped, he was one of the co-founders of NARAL, so they were trying to overturn the abortion laws that were already in place in New York State to prevent it. But what I didn't even realize myself is that by the second anniversary of Roe versus Wade, he was trying to reverse what he had created. He realized that he created a monster. And what helped him to realize that was the ultrasound. He genuinely didn't believe that he was doing anything wrong. He was a Jewish atheist at the time. By the time he died, he became a Catholic, a pro-life Catholic from Jewish atheist to 
practicing Catholic. So the, the emergence of the ultrasound helped him to realize that he was literally taking life. So then he was trying to fight against what he had created. But it's a great article because he knew, he and the authors of this law and this strategy knew that a united Catholic Church was their greatest enemy. And unfortunately, it didn't happen. The law got passed. And we have lived with those consequences. I, as a priest, have a very unique perspective on this. Not because I'm a woman, obviously, but because I've ministered to women who have suffered and men who have made this decision. And I can assure you, they all regret it, at least the ones I've met. So there's a real call here that comes from our second reading. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is fulfilled in that one statement. But Paul introduces this reflection by saying, For freedom Christ set us free. So stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. What's the yoke of slavery? It's sin and deception. Sin itself is a great deception. Satan is a deceiver. He's the father of lies. I brought my Bible, which could be a really bad sign if I start reading from all the different chapters and verses. But in chapter 8 of John's Gospel, I was praying with it this morning. Go and pray with John chapter 8. It starts with the woman caught in adultery, interestingly enough. And in the middle of it, 831, 832, Jesus says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He's in an argument with the Jews. And they say, well, we're not slaves to anybody. What do we need to be set free from? Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And I came to set you free from sin and its effects. And they keep going back and forth. And Jesus says very strongly, I mean, for, to hear Jesus talk like this in John chapter 8, he says, your father is the devil, a murderer from the beginning, and the father of lies. Jesus calls the devil the father of lies, a liar from the beginning. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks according to his own nature. And then what I, what I will read from is John chapter 18. So that's easy to remember. John 8 and John 18. Go and read them and pray with them. In John 18, Jesus is before Pilate. And listen to this. Pilate asks Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingship is not of this world. If my kingship were of this world, my servants would fight that I might not be handed over to the Jews. But my kingship is not from this world. Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, 
What is truth? So typical. So typical of the world we live in. Pope Benedict coined the phrase dictatorship of relativism. The dictatorship of relativism. That's what we're living in. What does that mean? That means whoever controls the narrative gets their truth out. But it's relative. Meaning that they don't believe in an absolute truth. But that's why Jesus said, I am the truth. So Pope Benedict would highlight that. The truth is not something, it's someone. The author of life itself. The redeemer of the world. The one who said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. But the devil who comes in as a wolf in sheep's clothing, what's his agenda? Steal, kill, destroy. That's from John chapter 10. That's the devil's agenda. Steal, kill, and destroy. And he loves to deceive. He loves to lie. So our society as a rule has been duped. It's been duped. And now we're coming into the light. But it's not a battle of, of wits. And that's the thing we have to avoid. But rather we have to be about genuine love and compassion and understanding and mercy. That's the only thing that will allow us to move forward, to keep moving forward. We have to be intellectually and spiritually honest with ourselves. And that's why that opening prayer is so powerful. The light of truth. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And I come to dispel the darkness of sin and death. And to give life. It's all related. There's a certain integration that we have to pray for, which refers to healing, the healing of hearts and minds. We all need it. Because we were all born after 19, <laughs> married and born after 1930. We were all born into a very broken world. I know some of us were born before Roe v. Wade. I was born just a couple weeks before Roe v. Wade. But I've obviously grown up with it. So we've all been born into this very broken world, as I said, into a social experiment that was inspired by the devil himself. And so now we have all of this evidence that shows this experiment has failed miserably. Right? How many of us could say right, that our society in general is healthier today than it was 100 years ago? Right? Absolutely not. So the theology of the body, to bring this back to John Paul II, the theology of the body answers the question, what does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to be a human being? What makes us happy? Why are we here? Where are we going? These are really important questions that we all long to know the answer to. John Paul II would say, Jesus Christ is the answer to the question that is every human life. What a great quote. 
kind of comes out of the Second Vatican Council. Jesus Christ is the answer to the question that is every human life. So if you've looked for answers outside of Christ, and we all have, we all have, we've all tried to find meaning and value and purpose outside of Jesus. And could any of us raise our hands and say that went really well? Duh. Right? Of course not. Of course not. But the devil wants to keep inviting us to look for happiness and meaning and purpose outside of Jesus. Doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. But where do we find that meaning, that purpose, that happiness, that joy, that joy? We find it in the Lord, in his love and mercy. So if you're looking for more joy, more genuine freedom, look no further. I mean, you've all come to the right place, thanks be to God. But don't believe the hype, right? There's so much hype out there, right? I used to listen to 80s rap, Public Enemy. They used to have this song, Don't Believe the Hype. I'm really glad I learned that song as a kid. (laughs) There's so much hype out there. And we really need the Holy Spirit to help us navigate all the hype from either side, okay? From either side. So much hype. And so we need the Holy Spirit to help us navigate the narrow way, the narrow way of the cross. Because the cross is where we find the ultimate love of our God. He loved us that much. He loves us that much. He loves you that much. That he died for you. Because he couldn't imagine living without you. He chose you. If you want a provocative title for this homily, Jesus is pro-choice. <laughs> Jesus is pro-choice because he chose to die for you so that you could have life. And he keeps choosing you. He claimed you for himself. So you belong to him. We all belong to him. So let's ask John Paul II to pray for us in a particular way as we continue to go forward. They called him a witness to hope. And I think that's a great thing that we could all pray for. That we could all be witnesses to hope. You should be praying right now and asking God, what do you want from me now? What are you calling me to do? Because you can all do something. You can pray. You can donate money. You can become an activist. Right? Because the battle has only begun, so to speak. They mentioned the, I mentioned the ultrasound earlier. I've actually blessed ultrasound machines <laughs> as they've been brought to different pro-life clinics. Talk to any pro-life clinic. They'll tell you if they've got ultrasound machines, it makes a huge difference. So maybe God's asking you to help fund ultrasound machines <laughs> and the training of ultrasound techs. Or Mary's Mantle. It's a, a ministry that actually takes in pregnant mothers who are in crisis. We need to love them more than ever. That's really not easy. That's really hard. And so we need all, kind, we need all hands on deck to come to the, to the support of 
people at all stages of life in all circumstances. We need to love them where they're at just like Jesus loves us where we're at. And if we can do that, you can be sure that we will see a great day. A great day of light. And we will all have cause for great rejoicing. Amen.